0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technology with me, Tjasa Seitz. If you're a regular listener of the show, you already heard what digital health development looks like in Malta and Estonia, and you will soon be able to hear about digital health and e-health in Singapore. All these countries pride themselves in successful countrywide digitization projects. And an important factor in their success is the small country size. Singapore has 5.6 million people, Estonia 1.3 million people, and Malta barely half a million. This got me thinking. Why not present the state of digital health in Slovenia? It's a country of 2 million people with a universal healthcare system where electronic medical cards have been in place since the 90s. The interoperable backbone for main patient documents such as discharge letters has been in place since 2012. We've had electronic prescriptions for quite a few years now. On the Index of Digital Economy and Society 2018, prepared by the European Commission, Slovenia was ranked 6th according to the use of e-health solutions. Clearly, we have good practices to share. But one digitally unrelated thing I'm really grateful for as a chronic patient is access to medications. Given that the drug prices are a consistently controversial topic in the US healthcare system, I decided... To prepare a short introduction about how drug prices are regulated in Europe and Slovenia with the Head of Medication Management at the Healthcare Institute of Slovenia, Yuri Fierst you'll be able to listen to two episodes about Slovenia the first one about drug pricing and cost containment and the second about the digital health community with Tina Valpotic healthcare business strategist and consultant with rich experience in healthcare policy design healthcare IT product design and implementation but first the drug prices let's start with a few controversial stories In 2015, Turing Pharmaceutical raised the price of a 62-year-old drug Daraprim, which is used as the standard of care for treating a life-threatening parasitic infection. The drug price increased to $750 a pill from $13.5 in the US. This, for example, could not occur in Europe due to strict regulation. New York Times recently published a letter of a reader explaining that her generic, potentially life-saving asthma bronchodilator inhaler cost her more than $100 at the American pharmacies. When she moved to Mexico, the same inhaler cost $4. In London, it cost her $9. And in Spain, where it's manufactured, only $2.6. So let's look at how drug cost containment looks in Europe and in Slovenia. The European Medicines Regulatory System is based on a network of around 50 regulatory authorities from 31 European countries, the European Commission and European Medicines Agency EMA. Scientific evaluation of medicines for use in the EU is done by EMA. Once a marketing authorization has been granted, decisions about price and reimbursement take place at the level of each country. Many countries use a so-called external reference pricing system when determining negotiation prices with manufacturers. External reference pricing is the practice of using the price of a medicine in one or several countries in order to derive a benchmark or reference price for the purpose of setting or negotiating the price of the product in a given country. For example, the reference countries for Slovenia are Austria, France and Germany. When trying to set the price limit for a new original drug, our regulators would look at prices in Austria, Germany and France and the price for Slovenia would be a permitted percentage of the lowest price of an equivalent of a medicinal product in one of the three reference countries. So, for original drugs, we would look at the lowest prices for benchmarking. Now, for generic medicinal products, the calculations are done based on the percentage of the average of the highest and lowest prices of comparable generic medicinal products in reference countries. In essence, what this tells you is that prices are very intertwined in Europe and can fluctuate that easily, as in the case of daraprim in the US. Despite this external reference system, In the end, a lot still depends on negotiations on national levels, and while some drug prices are publicly available, final prices are usually still not visible to the public. External reference pricing is a widespread system, but it's not perfect. The head of medication management department at the Health Insurance Institute of Slovenia, Jurij Firšt, is critical of the system. As he says, each country determines the basket of other countries for drug comparison, and when the baskets start to differ, the system gets dysfunctional.
1: Uh, reference pricing system is uh, already a problem because every country is re- referencing another one. most countries do reference basket of other countries. so the prices go lower and lower regarding uh, referencing but in some uh, cases it is probably already absurd because uh, like Germany wants to have the basket of ho- all European countries and want to get the lowest price. But on the other side, we have most countries which have lower GDP and they should have higher price and so on, so that the system doesn't work optimally anymore.
0: So how do you approach the whole negotiation process about uh, reimbursing new drugs that come to the market?
1: The National Agency for Medicinal Products defines the the price which is effect of the three country baskets and uh, this one is the starting point for us. Then we try to find any good solution for, for us as payers. Or simple discount, or payback, or price volume agreement, or any kind of agreement which which is uh, acceptable for both parts.
0: How difficult are these discussions with manufacturers, since Slovenia is a small country, we only have 2 million people, so it's a small market?
1: Yes, but I believe we are good payers. We pay regularly to the pharmacies, to hospitals. Market is strong. It is uh, stronger than, uh, like is comparable to Croatia, which has double number of inhabitants. How come we are comparable? We have higher consumption of expensive drugs, uh, a little bit higher prices probably. Consumption of drugs is probably also higher, like lipid-lowering drugs, antihypertensive. Slovenia is a country without co-payments, so if a patient needs 10 drugs, he will get them, all of them, without without co-payments. So uh, this increases the consumption.
0: You mentioned that uh, we have a high consumption of expensive uh, drugs in Croatia. Why is there the use of these drugs lower? Does that depend on the doctors? Do they have a different payment system?
1: It's about payment. The Slovenian system is very fair to the hospitals, to the doctors, because every patient that gets an expensive drugs, which is uh, separately paid by the, by the health insurance, is really paid. I mean, every application is paid extra. All the cons- all consumption is paid. In Croatia, the hospitals get budgets, and they have to pay take care about all the patients and it may happen and in practice and it does happen happens that they don't have enough money for all the patients or if one hospital doesn't have enough money for the all patients they send them to the clinics and then the clinics have even more troubles uh, to get enough uh, money for for the drugs and so on so that with budgets it is always more difficult and especially if the hospitals aren't big ones and, uh, you know, in this uh, area, the hospitals are not really very well paid. So doctors have to choose among patients which are more in need for a drug, which less and so on. In Slovenia, everybody who has, uh, who has criteria, clinical criteria, he will get the drug.
0: Because new, expensive drugs are entering the market, price is not the only thing regulators need to do to contain drug costs and ensure medicines availability. Consequently, other measures need to be in place for cost containment. Some countries charge a participatory fee for each prescription. Other countries in Europe have deductibles, a yearly capped amount a patient will spend on drugs out of pocket. Once the patient exceeds that amount, the cost is paid by the insurance. Slovenia doesn't have participation, but minor copayments can fall on patients. Two policies are in place to prevent patients from paying for the drugs. One is the interchangeability of drugs referring to generic drugs. If I use a drug that has a generic equivalent and the price of my drug goes up due to price fluctuation, the pharmacist will offer me a generic drug once I come to the pharmacy so I don't need to co-pay out-of-pocket. Generic drugs, by definition, have the same chemical structure, therefore their interchangeability shouldn't be problematic. A slightly different case is another policy called the therapeutic cluster of drugs. Different drugs for the same indication, for example, ACE inhibitors or lipid-lowering drugs, are clustered together and if the price of my drug suddenly goes above the limit set by the insurance company, I might get a different, cheaper drug with an expected same effect on my health to avoid the copayment. I can always opt in for a copayment. And even so, copayments are usually small.
1: Copayments are there only in the pharmacies, so also only for the outpatient system. Theoretically, they are not obligatory because the system works in the way that the co-payment is necessary only if the drug has a higher price than the reference product in the basket. We have two kinds of baskets, interchangeable one, which is a very typical approach in Europe, and also a therapeutic clusters, therapeutic uh, reference uh, pricing groups. Uh, this is not a very typical approach, but there are some countries in Europe which do have this approach. Let's say ACE inhibitors together. And there is uh, set a price level which is covered by the health insurance. And if you get a, a more expensive parallel, then you copay this difference in prices. But most differences are very small, and uh, the company sooner or later adapts these prices.
0: If we try to be specific regarding the amount of copayment, a patient that needs to copay for a specific drug, how much would that be per month?
1: Uh, depends. Uh, Per package it may be only some cents or it may be up to 50 euro for let's say one biological drug but uh, of course in that case everybody would go back to the doctor for another prescription for the parallel without copayment. These clusters are uh, prepared very carefully. We have now about 12 clusters, I believe. You know, doctors are not always happy to see our approaches, but they understand that we need new drugs, that we need lower prices of existing drugs, and and with with limited resources, this is one of the easiest approaches, probably. Usually we get a reasonable solution for for these clusters.
0: Because uh, doctors are included in the decision-making of which drugs are going to be in specific clusters
1: Yeah we have a uh, at the health insurance we have a committee of experts from the uh, clinics and uh, I mean hospitals but then for specific clusters we always, always go to the specific clinics which know most about this uh, type of therapy and uh, we discuss then and, and f- try to find the best solution
0: Drug expenditure is getting increasingly high with new drugs such as immunotherapies, biologic therapies, and gene therapies. But if you look at how biologic drug cost containment is evolving, there is a light of hope. As patents for biologic drugs are falling, so are the prices of originators due to the rise of biosimilars. Europe is much more open to the approval of biosimilars compared to the US. As of early 2019, the US has approved 17 biosimilars to 9 reference biologics. Meanwhile, since 2006, Europe has approved 53 biosimilars to 15 reference medicines. Still, says Dr. Fürst, prescribing needs to be optimized because when it comes to biologic drugs, doctors are cautious about switching between biologics and biosimilars. In Slovenia, biosimilars are also not automatically interchangeable. The doctors need to actively decide for a different drug. But once, if the awareness about safety of biosimilars among doctors increases, the situation might change as well. Another measure for improved and more rational prescribing of medicines is the introduction of clinical pharmacists to the primary level. While the idea is good, the collaboration between GPs and pharmacists still needs to improve.
1: The idea came from the Netherlands, which have this already for many years. It's about quality prescribing circles. The idea is that clinical pharmacists help doctors in difficult patients or polypharmacy or any concrete questions about side effects, potential side effects or combinations about appropriate drugs for elderly and so on. Theoretically, a very good system where doctors have a consultant as a part of his team. But on the other side, the doctors don't uh, send enough patients to them Clinical pharmacists are not consulted enough. This is theoretically also seen by some doctors as extra burden for them to choose a patient and send send it to another specialist. And I hope that younger doctors have more confidence and they are more used to work together with other, uh, let's say, specialists.
0: Before finishing my discussion with Dr. Fierst, I wanted to know two more things burdening the US at the moment, opioids and ADHD drugs. Prescribing here is much
1: more conservative. They are prescribed mostly rationally. Of course, every drug which has a potential for addiction, like benzodiazepines, anxiolytics or hypnotics or opioids, there you always get some patients which are addicted. But uh, in such a way as it happened in U.S., it's, I, I hope it is impossible to, in Europe because you know there are guidelines. Doctors are prescribing painkillers uh, according to the guidelines and. Especially these uh, more potent uh, opioids are not prescribed for non-cancer pain. This is the reference, cancer pain or non-cancer pain. In cancer pain, there is no question you need to aggressively treat the pain. But in non-cancer pain, uh, you have to be very uh, reserved with, with stronger opioids.
0: From a doctor's perspective, what would, for example, be the, the strongest medication a person would get for consistent
1: back pain in slovenia you would uh, only extremely rarely get an opioid now now i'm talking about uh, not tramadol which is broadly prescribed and of course there are also some addictions there but but we are talking about most potent opioids which are the problem in u.s
0: so you can't really get them from a gp is it
1: uh, not very easy, not very. You should go first to the uh, special center for pain control. These are anesthesi- mostly anesthesiologists or neurologists who, who are specialists for the pain and so on, and then to try other treatments also and so on. So that in Europe, it is uh, the prescribing is very reserved.
0: Uh, what about uh, ADHD drugs, which are also quite popular among students in the U.S.?
1: All these drugs are strictly regulated. For these uh, uh, drugs, we have a special list of doctors which are authorized to prescribe them. And then you need a double prescription and so on. I mean, it is a strictly regulated uh, market.
0: To sum up, the Slovenian healthcare system has a lot of problems I didn't talk about. But at least patients in general don't need to worry about not getting a drug because of its price. And so I don't wrap up with the problems of the Slovenian healthcare system. Some final words from Dr. Fierst about the Netherlands, which he says many countries could learn from.
1: Uh, I have no doubts that Netherlands and Scandinavian countries have really good approaches, complex ones.
0: So what do you see that the Netherlands specifically is doing right? What, what's so different compared to other countries?
1: Netherlands has a very effective uh, healthcare system. They have very c- competent committee which decides on drugs. The government does lead the healthcare system very effectively. It is very well coordinated. The doctors have uh, also, on the other side, a lot of responsibility. I mean, they are hurt by politicians and they are also responsible for what they do for their decisions. So the the doctors have a lot of decisions in their hands, and on the other side, policy does understand this as autonomy and try to regulate the macro system. So the, the, the whole, let's say, package works really good. And on the other side, they have rational prescribing. They have this long tradition of pharmacists, which are, into the system, which are uh, very well connected. They have the lowest uh, use of antibiotics in Europe. They are able, again, on macro level, to uh, work together with Penelux countries uh, for international negotiations. I mean, they are really a state, which is very effective and uh, in so many uh, ways. It may be uh, an example to to many other countries.
0: You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. This was the first part of a two-part series about healthcare in Slovenia. In the second episode, you will be able to hear how digital health community is developing in this part of Europe with Tina Valpotich, healthcare business strategist and consultant with rich experience in healthcare policy design, healthcare IT product design and implementation. Um, I would say that there is around 40 to 50 companies that are somehow involved in the either the, the IT or the medtech. But it's also true that when we sort of have the health day uh, meetings or the bigger events, 200, 300 people join. So, I think that it, it, it grows steadily and the fact that some of them really um, started to be very successful um, over the last couple of years is making the sector more interesting and I'm, I'm quite sure we're going to, uh, to grow even rapidly in the, in the next couple of years.